So much of my interest in art is to tackle this idea, to tackle this notion of how do we become whole? So how do we heal? It comes pretty much the same thing. And to me, for me, it comes up in my work in ways of remembering and memory. So how do we become whole by remembering who we are and how we become whole by remembering who our ancestors were and what are the legacies that we naturally carry within ourselves? Hello, and welcome to Articulating. I'm Ricky Gomez, and I work as the Latino Collections Archivist here at the Archives of American Art. This podcast receives support from the Alice L. Walton Foundation. Over the past three years, the COVID-19 pandemic has reshaped our understanding of physical, mental, and communal health. Through distance and isolation, we evaluated our relationships with one another, raising questions of belonging and interconnectedness beyond individual experiences. As we enter the fourth year of this public health emergency, we also approach the third anniversary of the Archives' Pandemic Oral History Project, which comprised more than 80 short-form interviews to gauge the state of the arts at the onset of the pandemic in 2020. To commemorate that project and to reflect on how the world has evolved since, we have invited four artists to reflect on healing and belonging in their work, which we have put in dialogue with our oral history collection. This is the first in a four-episode series on the visual arts and healing, co-curated by Fernanda Espinosa, a National Endowment for the Humanities Oral History Association Fellow. As part of her year-long program, Fernanda is working on In Colors, a project carried out in collaboration with the Archives of American Art. This is Fernanda Espinosa, and I am an independent oral historian leading the In Colors project. Through In Colors, I tried to reassess and reimagine the oral history archive to bring in a diversity of perspectives and voices that have often been left out of official national histories. Through this collaboration with the Archives of American Art, my emphasis has been on Latinx and Latin American art histories. In this first episode, we hear from Coyolcintli Miranda Rivadeneira, an Ecuadorian-American interdisciplinary artist from Queens, New York. She focuses on sound, ancestral technologies, ritual, and storytelling through collaborative processes and personal narratives. Intersectional theories and earth-based healing inform her practice. Coyolcintli's work situates at the intersection of herself and the land, a time subject and a time's creator. She formulates intimate encounters with geographies that have birthed her ancestry and shape her personal history and upbringing including the Andean mountains and the coast of Ecuador. I am born in what we know as New York City. And at the age of two, my parents moved us to Ecuador. I grew up in Guayaquil. It's a coastal city in in Ecuador. And my mother and father, they're both from Manabí. So we went to Manabí quite often uh, to visit, visit family. So I spent a lot of time going back and forth from Guayaquil to Manabí. When you grow up, you're not thinking about your story. You're living your history. And as I reflect on my work, I really think about how my mother and father, the way that they lived really impacted the way that I also work. My mother took me to Manabí quite often and also to Quito. 
and we would interact with culture, with family, with tradition. And my father, because he was a business person and also drove a truck, I would travel to him to Colombia and to Peru to for business. Yeah. So I think that these things, these early memories really have um, an impact on, on, on my on my work, especially the beginning of my work as I started doing photojournalism. I was a very curious person. I did a lot of different classes, extracurricular activities. As I mentioned before, I was into I was I was painting a lot. I was learning classical painting. In fact, I was happy that I could replicate and I could sell paintings that are replicas. When I was growing up in Waikiki, it was a big thing to be able to do a replica of some European master painting and be able to sell it. So I, I really took a lot of pride in being able to do that. As an adult, Coyolcintli returned to New York City to go to school. My major was performance and sculpture. So I went from doing paintings for my first year. And then my second year, I really felt like I want to take other classes. So I started taking uh, performance. All of that was really, really interesting to me. And I think there was something liberating about having a studio and using your body instead of painting a body. And the other thing, the other inner dialogue that I had at that time, which it stays true up to, until this day, is that I want to be able to contribute to the history of art in a way that feels authentic to me. And painting did not feel uh, that was the medium that I wanted to continue using. I had been using it for so many years. And I think it was when I decided, okay, I think I need to do something else. Painting is not, it's not saying what I want to say. So then I started taking um, uh, performance classes, social practice classes, which at that time was so little. It wasn't evolved as it is right now. I started taking sculpture, ceramic, wood. So I had a studio with all, all these different forms of art. When I graduated, I wanted to go back to Ecuador because I thought that's what I'm, that, that's what I'm going to do. I graduated here. I'm done with my studies. I'm going to go back home. When I went back to Ecuador, I didn't know exactly what to do. I have this degree in the most abstract thing of that someone can get a degree in. How am I going to apply it? And it's interesting because at that point, or it's interesting to me, I didn't like photography. That photography for me was an instrument of documentation. I didn't understand it. In an unlikely turn, Coyolcintli returned to Ecuador and started working with photography. First as a hobby, and then as a full-time photojournalist. And I started photographing, and then I cut, and then I started really understanding, developing the film. And I had someone that was working at a pharmacy, and he was developing the film, and he was interested in in, in photography. So he was showing me these little things. That type of learning that happens before you too, you know, it was it was like the ultimate feeling of freedom and independence that you could imagine just to have your camera and go to all these different situations. And I was quite content. But <laughs> with the help and the suggestion of my editor at that time, I had applied to, to a scholarship uh, in Denmark. At that point, they had it every other year and they accept only six people from outside the Scandinavian countries. So when I was accepted, It was a tremendous shock for me. Well, then I thought, how many times am I going to go to Denmark? 
I ended up accepting it. And I went there and I spent a year studying photojournalism. And I started getting more and more interested in photojournalism. So, and also everything that had to do with social issues. So I started photographing there and I spent a little bit more time. And then I went back to New York for a few months. And then I thought, I'm just going to go back to South America and photograph. And my interest at the time was these cities that are, that are bustling and growing in the middle of the Amazon, which is extremely problematic for the indigenous people that live in this area. So I started going to Brazil, to Peru, places in Ecuador, and just photographing. And that process was years. I spent, I spent doing photojournalism for at least seven years. But I had to come to New York where, at that point, it really became my base. Because a lot of the magazines, newspapers that I was selling to were in New York, it were, were based in New York. In the late 2000s, Coyolcintli carried out her last photojournalism assignment. I think it was in 2009, and I think it was in Brazil. It, it's a place called Tabachinga, and it borders Colombia. So I was able to photograph and I was able to carry the stories. And I thought, I'm really feeling, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about how, as a photographer, I get to extract images and realities from other people. And I don't know anything about my own realities, like my own deep sadness, deep traumas, because I, I really felt that in order to be a more authentic photographer, I had to become a more authentic person to myself. So that was a journey that brought me back to New York and started other stories, Historias Bravas, which is a series that I photograph my family. And the memories that were never documented. My mom was in New York. My aunts were in New York. And my grandmother lived in New York. And she was a pivotal person in my life. And I started asking questions, you know, asking questions about our heritage. So a lot of, a lot of syncretism going on that I never really tapped into or asked too much about. A lot of photography, it's, it really is about listening. So I spent a lot of time listening to people. And I thought, I need to start doing this process with myself. And that's when I started doing these photographs with, um, with my family. And from that body of work, I realized that I wanted to explore something else and then something else. And, and then, it, and then photojournalism transformed into personal documentary photography. It is at this point that we see a different journey start manifesting as Coyol simply returns to her art practice and starts to look inwards, pointing the lens at herself and at women in her family who have shaped her. This initial work is titled Other Stories, a project where the artist revisits unrecorded events for her own youth and restages scenarios taken from memory to recreate them in collaboration with immediate family members. Other Stories was very pivotal in that way. And also, I had never used the camera that I use for Other Stories, which is a medium format. A, the format is square. And it just felt perfect for, for the series because it, it, the images became a formal tableau 
I really wanted to break my work from the nature of documentary, which is so, so often 35 millimeter or it's a little bit, you know, like that elongated photograph to an, to a form of photography that is just, it's a different way of seeing it. So in that way, it just made sense to start using media format, which is what I continue using uh, up until this day. With these new explorations in format and content, the artist starts to examine personal memories and stories. I was reading at the time that memory is, it's a very tricky thing because the more that you remember a memory, the more you're going to change it with time. So when I thought about that, I, I thought, so if I remember less, when I remember, I will remember it more accurately. So I thought, wow, how interesting, especially as a, as a journalist where you want to document things as they are, it was important for me to like, okay, I'm not going to recreate a memory that I have played in my head many times. I'm going to try to recreate a memory that I have, that I do not even remember. I was really interested in childhood memories and also childhood memories that were accessible to me, not childhood memories that when I was five months old, but things that happened when I was four or five or 10 or things, you know, that you are able to remember, but because so much life has happened, you just forgot about them. So then I started doing that, started remembering. And then the way that it happened is that we, like with this memory with my mother, we started talking about it and I started drawing. So when the photograph happened, the photograph was a representation of the drawing because I thought, if I record this, my memory is going to change the way I perceive the recording. But if I draw it, then there's going to be a more actual image of that memory. So it was very much like I want to try to get this as identical as it was as possible, even though that, that's not even true, you know, because my mom could have changed some things as well. But there was that idea you know, of like, first we do the drawing and we base a photograph on the drawing. So, but because it was very slow, I ended up doing like maybe 10 photographs a year. I didn't want this flood of memories to come, but I really wanted the essential memories to come through. And sometimes they take time. Sometimes, you know, a month will pass and I'm like, I don't remember anything. And then the next month, something will come up. It took about two years to finish that work. And the other thing I wanted to say about it is that when other stories, Historias Bravas, when I did it, it was a very personal work. So I wasn't really interested in promoting it or selling it, but I, I felt I felt happy about the work in terms of a healing that had taken place. But I wasn't interested in sharing it with people because I felt like, who cares about my life? While this first important body of work was a very personal project, it provided a clear point of transition towards an ongoing artistic effort that engages with questions of healing and belonging, 
through the work of memory as well as relationship building. So much of my interest in art is to tackle this idea, to tackle this notion of how do we become whole? So how do we heal? It becomes pretty much the same thing. And to me, for me, it comes up in my work in ways of remembering and memory. So how do we become whole by remembering who we are and how we become whole by remembering who our ancestors were and what are the legacies that we naturally carry within ourselves? So that is something that I that I really am interested to, to explore further and further in my practice. I think that at the beginning, as I mentioned before, with other stories, the uh, process of becoming whole was a process of opening up to myself. It was like my first and most important project. I had a lot of exhibitions and later it, later it became a book. But the way that it was conceived, it was really about healing. It was really about understanding who am I, where I come from, what's my heritage, and how can I be consciously aware of my footprint in this planet. After these first experiments, Coyolcintli went on to work on Piedra Redonda project, photographing and working with a traditional healer. And after I finished other stories, right after, I went back to Ecuador and I started doing a lot of ceremonies and meeting people in those circles. And it was a good thing for me because I was also trying to think about my next project. So I didn't want to rush. So I wanted to also give myself that opportunity of connecting to healing and to earth wisdom while I am thinking about what am I going to do next. And it is in that time that I meet this lady, Mommy Matilde. I met her and I thought, I'm going to, if she allows me, I'm going to start photographing her. And she loved photography. When I started photographing, she was in complete delight. And that became easy for me. So then I started photographing and I spent like a year, almost the, that entire year just working with her and photographing and going and staying with her and learning. I spent 11 years living with her, photographing her. So yeah, so I spent a lot of time there. And then, you know, a few years passed by and the lines between being an, an assistant or a helper of a yachak, uh, which is a wise person, and a photographer start, start merging. If my Matilda would have been alive for 20 more years, I would have photographed her for 20 more years. And I wouldn't think twice. I would just be with her. I had such a joy of being with that woman that I wouldn't think of anything else that I, that I need to improve or do or change. Right before the pandemic, Coyol Sintli's longtime teacher and subject of two of her projects passed away, prompting her to reevaluate her work and place in the world. When she passed away, I really had, it was a moment of me to really start thinking more about these things that have always permeated in my work, which is where is my place of belonging? How is my work bringing healing or thinking about healing for other communities? How am I working through this, these themes? The pandemic is that that was the moment for me where I started really thinking, okay, I come from a lineage. I come from a lineage of healers, uh, whether it's in this lifetime or in another lifetime. And I don't think I'm unique. I think we all have a, a family member that is or was a healer. So, and this is also part of our mix of cultures, our mix of traditions, 
that instead of thinking that the healing happens somewhere else, really reflecting that at some point, one of your ancestors was a healer. So even just to begin with that premise, when she passed was a moment for me of revisiting my own existence. I think I had relied on a pattern of life where I go visit her, stay with her. I had relied on that pattern for so long that when the pandemic hit, not only was she gone, but I was also not able to go back and carry on with my life in that way. So as my own personal um, rituals, uh, funerary rituals, I started doing performances. And I thought that that was the best way to honor her. So I started doing performances in Long Island City, um, just going to the ocean and doing things for her. Uh, they, they, they were not really recorded. I wasn't really thinking about as an art form to be shared with people, although they were art forms, because I think that she would enjoy that. She really enjoyed art and that way of thinking. So I did these performances for her. And yeah, they lasted a few months. And then afterwards, my practice starts shifting and I start thinking about what other materials can I use? I started, I started missing her. So clay became something that made me touch something. I wanted to be able to touch and make something. So I started using clay, arcilla. And then I started doing all these forms and all these beings. And they were all like based on memories that I had with Mama Tilde. So it was also in honor of her. So almost the entire year, I was just doing things, thinking about her. Everything that I was doing was about her. During the pandemic, Coyolcintli transitioned to work mostly with clay, reconstructing and reinterpreting pre-Columbian instruments, turning them into ceremonial objects and performing with them. I'm not a musician. I've never worked with sound. So even to, to do the sound, I take time with it because to me it's such a it's such a sacred, but also a new practice. And I always meditate on this and how photography, you know, like although now I'm doing all these other things, sometimes I miss how easy photography was for me. Where I'm like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna use this camera. I'm gonna use this lens. I'm gonna use this film. I'm gonna go to this place. I'm gonna do it at this hour. And ninety percent of the time, I like the results. With sound, it's such a new thing. I don't have that familiarity. So it's much more of like, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to play and then I'm going to play again. And maybe I don't like it. And I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go back. You know, it's so, it's like meeting someone for the first time. That's how it feels, you know, and that and also connects also to my, my future or my, or my baby. You know, it's going to be someone that I'm meeting for the first time. And I'm having this, this new relationship with sound and birth that are happening at the same time. And I think about how interesting that is and how that will evolve in my practice, how those two will exist together as 2023 starts. So that's something that I've been meditating a lot and thinking a lot about.
To hear from other artists working across mediums and identities, listen to an interview with Erica Lord by visiting the Pandemic Oral History Interviews on the Archives of American Art website. In 2020, Lord was thinking through the entanglement of history, creativity, and evolution in her Pandemic Oral History Project interview with Lara Evans. An Alaskan native of Athabascan in Yupiaq and Finnish descent, Lord creates series and installations through photography, sculpture, and performance that engage with indigenous diaspora and identity. She teaches at the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, and she recounted her experience with the onset of the pandemic, both as a teacher and as an artist looking for modes of expression to reflect and reconcile the moment in history. One thing, like, especially with my freshmen or younger students, like one thing that I repeat over and over is, you know, I really like art history as a means of looking back because history tells us dates and events and like archaeology finds objects or sociology talks about belief systems, anthropology talks about people, but art history kind of brings those all together. Like, and one of the ways that I would test this with them was like, like you guys are all too young to know, to have lived through the Vietnam War, but you all know that like what did people think about it you know like how did they feel about the Vietnam War and you know it wasn't it wasn't popular I was like how do we know that and oh it's like it had they had this like aha situation like it's because of the art art and music and poetry like creative expression that helps us to understand like how people were actually feeling or thinking reacting to things at that time even though there's all these, I mean, there's so much happening in the news right now, like you're saying between uh, racial tension and protests and COVID and all these things. And I don't think it's any coincidence that they're all kind of erupting together. I think when we look back on this, it'll be all more important to look back at the art- artistic or creative expression that came out during this time, because it's one of the we're being forced to slow down, which is really great. I can and contemplate these things and think about this stuff. I feel like I, it seems like a lot of other artists that I'm talk talk to are also dealing with the same kind of challenges where we're not as productive as we first thought we were going to be. We're not getting as much done as we wanted to or thought. Was. But I think eventually a lot will come of this time, and that's going to be really important to look back on. There's there's just so much happening and, and artists and creatives in general have always been the ones that kind of help us to understand the thoughts and feelings. So. This podcast is produced by Ben Gillespie and Michelle Herman at the Archives of American Art. It was edited by the team at Better Lemon Creative Audio. Our music comes from Sound and Smoke, composed by Viet Quang and performed by the Peabody Wind Ensemble with Harlan Parker conducting. For show notes, works cited, and additional resources, visit aaa.si.edu slash articulated. The Archives is especially grateful to Fernanda Espinosa for curating this episode and to Coyotzintli for sharing her story and practice. If you enjoy Articulated, please consider rating and sharing it. The Archives of American Art at the Smithsonian Institution is a nonprofit organization that relies on donations from individuals like you to sustain our ongoing operations and special programs like Articulated. To support our work, 
please visit aaa.si.edu support. Thank you.